This podcast is proudly part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out more Kaiju and Tokusatsu goodness, go to kaijuramenmedia.com. And shim! Standing by. Complete. Greetings, heroes of the internet. I'm Nathan. I'm Tommy. And this is Henshin Man, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and eye-kicking adventures. In this installment, we'll be discussing the Kamen Rider manga by Shitaro Ishinomori. The original run of the legendary Kamen Rider manga, now in English, has a special 50th anniversary omnibus. Fans the world over have long been enthralled by the tales of Kamen Rider, the masked motorcycle riding superhero who protects the world from injustice. Kidnapped and experimented upon by the evil terrorist organization known as Shocker, Hongo Takeshi manages to escape their clutches and use his newfound strength to fight against their schemes. These are the first adventures and a legacy that spans dozens of television series and films, drawn and written by series creator and manga superstar Shotaro Shinomori. Commemorating the 50th anniversary of this classic 1971 publication, this collection is the first hardcover edition of Kamen Rider in English. It features the original Kamen Rider manga series plus special bonus materials and full-color inserts. And no, heroes of the internet, I didn't write that myself. I stole that from the back cover copy. <laughs> I have to make sure I say that because I don't want to be accused of plagiarism. <laughs> yeah. No, I was glad to see they released this as one big book, so I don't have to have that intimidating, like, okay, this is the volume one I can track down, and I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever find the others. I know, I know, I know, yeah. But, uh, but welcome back, Tommy. Thank you. Actually... Yes, yes, yeah, you've been on the show proper. You were on to talk about the first couple episodes of Common Rider Black. And then hilariously, right after we <laughs> we recorded that episode and it was about to be published, we get the announcement that Discotech is releasing the entire show. And we were saying in the episode, hey, somebody release this for us, please. <laughs> we willed it into existence. Still need to buy my copy of that because I know once it's gone, it's going to be hard to find. Oh, uh, it is one of the best english language releases of tokusatsu i've ever seen mm -hmm. it, it's it's top five it really is top okay. five and now Kamen Rider black rx is coming later next month so exciting times exciting times so welcome back just wanted to say that and it's serendipitous because your primary podcast giant size violence which was originally started for ultra mega mm -hmm. is you're kind of rebranding and shifting it a little bit to be about yeah toku comics i am shifting the subtitle from an ultra mega podcast to a toku comics podcast because mm -hmm. it's been two years and we haven't heard any more about when ultra mega is coming back i think it mm -hmm. will someday because it was very successful and i 
to hear the guys working on it. But yeah, no, nah, there's plenty of other good toku-roided comics out there. I mean, I've even interviewed some of the other big toku mm-hmm. writers that are writing like Common Rider and Power Rangers and stuff now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think my focus going forward is going to be comics and manga related to tokusatsu in general. And I'll certainly cover Ultra Mega again if it ever hits the shelves. But oh yeah. yeah. I'm actually looking forward to that. I'd like to read. I'd like to read some more of that. It it left off at a very interesting mm. point, but creator-owned comics from Image. A lot of times, from what I understand, this kind of stuff happens. It will not just be strictly monthly unless you're. Oh, dang it! I can't remember his name. The guy who runs Savage Dragon. Oh, Eric Larson. Just won't, Eric Larson. Yeah, he just won't stop. Whatever he wants, <laughs> and sometimes what he wants is porn. I found out from recent <laughs> issues. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But anyway, but anyway. So we're here to talk about this manga. It's originally going to be two episodes, but I had to shuffle some things around. So we're going to do it all in one episode, man. We'll see what we'll see how this goes. So this is going to be a little bit new for me. We've been doing some comic book coverage, Michael and I, on the power trip, but something this huge, mm. man, <laughs> this is going to be a little bit of a challenge because this is a 900 page tome. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I started reading this a year and a half and an entire gender ago. <laughs> you have changed with the comic. Yeah, no. I mean, much like Common Writer, I'm more powerful than I was before. I've got a new name. Uh, I wear a lot more green now and like a new wardrobe. I'm a lot. I'm much more worried about Nazis now than I was before. Also, Common Writer. Because <laughs> uh, let's be honest, Shocker is basically nazis yeah. <laughs> that's i feel like that should be that should be their subtitle we are shocker basically nazis <laughs> and on that note while i also will be undergoing medical enhancements to make me better and cooler looking <laughs> mind control and nazi scientists have nothing to do with it i know there's a lot of people that would want you to think otherwise but i i will only be fighting them i was not created or influenced by nazi mind control scientists in any way <laughs> just for clarification in case anyone was wondering <laughs> the analogy stops somewhere yeah <laughs> the analogy stops somewhere so like i said got a lot to to get into i will admit your reread of this is a bit more recent than mm. mine i actually finished this a while ago i was thinking at one point i was going to cover this with travis my re- my normal regular co- co-host just schedules just didn't quite work out so i'm bringing on another comic hey. expert to, to help me with for your this viewers one. this will be handy because i have watched almost none of the original common writer but I've, oh that'll be interesting i've listened to your, a lot of your show i've watched blue nova's videos on the series so i, I can't i get it but i just don't have time mm-hmm. to watch 98 episodes of an old japanese show yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i've got the, the i made notes referencing where it's because this is this is very different, but well, not very different. It's different, but it's also extremely similar. That's why I didn't write a whole synopsis. I just read the back of this because if you've been listening to the show or you've watched the original television series, you know what's happening in this. There, you know, there's nothing new really to bring up here other than some very big divergences here. Now, some this was published and translated, I should say, by Seven Seas Entertainment. I will admit I don't know a whole lot about them other than they have released this and the Go Ranger manga, which I've also read, and it's pretty good. And the, this comic, if I remember correctly, I think the comic 
started before the show, but they were pretty close together. And then they were produced at about the same time. So there is some overlap between the show and the manga, but then there's also some very key differences. Some of it having to do with the limitations of special effects and the show's budget, or honestly, I'm just guessing differences in sensibilities because the manga goes places yeah. <laughs> that the show didn't quite and do. I'll rant about it at length as we get to the end of the book, but I was curious, like if this series either got canceled or was like mandated to wrap up towards the end, because like the last chapter, or especially like the last 15 pages or so it's like they, they crammed like a couple arcs worth of things or a couple arcs mm -hmm. with the story points in there. I'm not entirely sure that that would be something I can either ask Travis or I'll look into. And if I have to record a little appendix or whatever for this episode, I will gladly do that if I find out some more information. But I've been primarily interested in just going over, like I said, the comic itself. So, yeah, like I said, we're going to go through this kind of in, well in basically order, hmm. you know, and, you know, just talk about some of the things. So we have I'm calling it part one the demarcations for different chapters is not quite as clear as I, as other mangas that I've read, I will admit. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly how accurate my, you know, like I said, my demarcations are, but what I'm calling part one is basically the origin story. And the first episode of the show actually follows this relatively close. But one of the things that you're going to notice in this, and I'm pretty sure this was a decision made by South Seas to avoid any confusion because the subtitles from shout factory if you watch this if you stream this on chat factor tv or tubi don't quite do this but you'll notice that our first monster of the week is called man spider <laughs> instead of spider man <laughs> it's man spider which is funny because there is a marvel character named man spider <laughs> who does kind of look like this too with the six arms and the mandibles Yep, yep. And then what's funny is that it actually in the comic it says uncanny man spider. It's like, is that a double Marvel mm. reference there? Because I think South Seas will sneak in little things like that to be funny. Like in the Go Ranger manga, someone actually says, ay, ay, ay. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure nobody said that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what it was, but you took a little bit of creative license to give people an Easter egg. So mm. I appreciate that. <laughs> but the other thing you'll notice in this. It's nice that the first handful of pages are in color. Not most mangas. This is something a lot of American comic readers may not be aware of, but most mangas are not colored. They're black and white. They have to be. Yeah, and I know like a lot of special releases will do like a few colored pages or like as I don't know, maybe a little bonus thing. And mm -hmm. looking at the colored pages, I really wish they could have done the entire book because like those first few really sell the psychedelic and like i feel like that's kind of lost once they switch to color you, you still get elements of it but i just think the book would be a lot trippier and more interesting if they could have somehow found a way to colorize the whole book i agree with you although if they had colorized you know it's almost 900 pages they colorized the whole thing with these glossy pages this would have been like 300 bucks yeah <laughs> it's because man it's i mean a handful of colored pages this thick and it's retailing for about $33. That's, I mean, that's a lot mm -hmm. for some people, but anyway, I do, like I said, I do appreciate the colors that we have here. The origin, like I said, is basically the same, just with you know, wilder 
covers like the this last of the color pages when hongo first wakes up from his surgery and he looks like a titan from attack mm -hmm. on titan for a minute <laughs> it's wild it is really really wild and that also introduces one of the differences from the show and the manga and that is which is interesting common writer interestingly and that is hongo has scars that will appear on particularly his face when he gets agitated or is about to transform which they completely leave out like i said in the okay show. and i i've seen the first episode of common rider and i thought they did something with that maybe i'm thinking one of the later series or something of at least seeing the scars once like i said it's in shin Kong. oh Rider. that's probably it then that that might be it i'm not uh, yeah and i don't remember it in master rider the first which is another retelling of the original common rider don't remember, but it's been a little while since I've seen it. But the other thing that's different is that if you have seen the show and you're used to how the characters look in the show, you'll be a little surprised by how they look in the manga, particularly I thought with Tachibana. Tachibana looks pretty different. Sorry, remind me which one Tachibana is. Uh... Tachibana is the old man, the mentor. Oh, okay. Yeah, because in the show i can't remember the actor's name unfortunately he's been in basically everything like he's one of the people who's almost completed the you know the infinity gauntlet of tokusatsu and been in everything he's been in ultraman he's been common writer <laughs> he's i think he was in a godzilla film i mean he's been in everything but in this tachibana is a, is a white-haired old man i ha white-haired is loose there because he's bald and so, you know, the white hair is his mustache and his eyebrows. And the, in the show, he still has a full head of hair and no mustache. And he is definitely not gray. Hmm. <laughs> he has some big Master Roshi vibes in this. Uh. A little bit. Yeah. At points there, because there are points where he gets kind of silly, mm -hmm. sillier than he ever is in the show. So you have to get used to that. Also, if you're not used to uh, to old mangas or to Ashino Mori's art style, it might take a little bit of getting hmm. used to because his art style is a little it's 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 horrific at points but it's also kind of caricatured mm. it's a little exaggerated you know like with some of the with some of the character designs some of the characters have say giant noses when everybody else doesn't they're pretty lanky and sometimes they have really large hands or yeah feet. like i some of what i see here reminds me of like what i've seen from old astro boy yes but yes like i love how simplistic his cartoony art style is here because I, I i know if i was a kid reading this i'd absolutely be trying to draw a common writer and like it seems very achievable with the way he draws it like i'm i'm not a good artist but i'm pretty confident i could draw this rendition of common writer mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i just out of curiosity how familiar are you with manga have you read a lot of manga? not a ton of manga like i really okay. only started reading manga in the last like three four years whereas i've been reading american comics since i was like 10 but mm -hmm. I i've at least started reading a few series like i'm reading guyver right now chainsaw mm -hmm. man like is what sold me on manga it's like oh crap i've been reading the wrong comic medium <laughs> my hero <laughs> academia i'm trying to catch up on so mm -hmm. I, I at least have a little wide smattering from across the ages. okay Okay, I was bringing that up because some stylistic things that I want to mention here at the beginning, just to get it out of the way, is that this is very much done in, I mean, it's older manga, so if you're familiar, more familiar with newer manga, 
you know, you might, this might take a little bit to get used to, but one of the trademarks of manga is decompressed storytelling. And this has decompressed storytelling in droves. You know, like there's whole sequences in here where it's just basically one action and it spends a whole page of panels just tracking that. Mm. Whereas American and British comics tend to be very compressed. Now they've been moving in the last 20 years, they've been moving closer to decompressed storytelling, largely because of the manga influence. But I was noticing that quite a bit. Yeah, like there's an element of time and size in American comics of like, if a moment is meant to be longer, it should be a bigger panel, especially like emotional beats or like big Mm -hmm. two page spreads where they're not going to show every little action beat. But like manga, I mean, it's so famous for like a guy falling down can be an entire chapter. I mean, yes, you're getting like flashbacks of like everything mm-hmm. leading up to this point or like all this inner monologue in the middle of a fight or something. But yeah, I feel like it's more done for cinematic purposes than like mm-hmm. anything related to time necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, this one is primarily focused on the origin and uh, fighting man spider. Which is funny because in Shin Kamen Rider, they get around all of this by calling them Augs. So it's Spider Og and Bat Og. So you don't have to worry about that. (laughs) Which I I think is, I think that's a perfectly good variation on it. But one of the other things that you'll find out very quickly with this, like I said, is that there was no way that this was going to be adapted exactly because of the budget constraints on the show. Mm. Cause they have maybe super would have been able to do it. Cause super had lots more money than Toei and common writer did, or at least than common writer, but you know, cause there's spaceships and these big crazy stunts mm. throughout the whole thing. And it's also a heck of a lot more violent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like i actually have a note here that says wth hongo karate chopped the goon's head off and then i wrote down later okay he just broke his neck but still <laughs> yeah I, I noticed he like i i don't mind this at all but like hongo doesn't seem to have that big stipulation of like oh i accidentally killed a person i like with great power comes great responsibility he's like no yeah. like he is ready to be a superhero as soon as he gets the powers he transforms yeah. has this big speech about how he was sent by mother nature like he's just had yes. that in his pocket for who knows how long yeah <laughs> if it's sitting on that for a little bit yeah i'm gonna but kill all these pre- nazis <laughs> Yeah, basically. I mean, he's still broody. He's still oh, pretty yeah. broody. You know, he's still carrying the weight of everything. Like, I would have to say, like, the, the Hongo portion of this manga, which is basically the first half, is very much like the first 13 episodes of the, sh- of the show. The first, because the first 13 episodes are really dark mm-hmm. compared to the rest of it. At points, it even gets David Lynchian. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I've seen <laughs> footage of how weird and experimental those were. And, like, I like how. <laughs> like they find all those creative ways every time they kill goons they'll like i don't turn into string or like have a different effect each time <laughs> one was i swear was a bead necklace that someone just yanked off camera <laughs> 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 i'm like guys <laughs> you really thought that way anyway yeah go back and listen to those episodes if you want to hear my reaction to it but so the vestiges of what you might have seen from the show are there. The connections to Mother Nature, because that gets brought up a lot, that was mostly unused in the show. But that's a big difference. And shout out to 
Matt Burkett of Monstrosity's vlog, who's doing a documentary on Ultra, uh, not Ultraman Gaia, uh, Common Writer Gaia, which was this unused idea that Ashina Mori spent years trying to get produced and it never did. There were versions of it that would get produced. It inspired a lot of Common Writer media, but it never was fully realized as he envisioned it. And this tight connection to mother nature was part Let's of see, that. I think I recall you talking about like a intended sequel that had the secret agent friend becoming a common writer. Is it related? To that, that was uh, Taki. Yeah, that was a later manga from the late nineties, early two thousands. I, I kept getting it wrong. I thought it was in this manga. It's not, mm. it's later on. And that, uh, and he was, I think he's called skull writer. Cause his costume looks like a skull, which was, an homage to one of Ashino Mori's other superhero characters. Yeah, which, wasn't that like kind of the original take on Kamen Rider? Like it's the, it's the, yeah, the progenitor, I would say of Kamen Rider. There's some overlap, you know, there's, there's some similarities not to be confused with the Mega Man boss. I might add hmm. <laughs> there's, there's a Mega Man boss from Mega Man four. I'm showing my nerd cred here. Couldn't name skull man, but yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty strong start. I would have I'm to say curious. Like at the end of the first chapter and leading into the second, like touching on that violence, man spider gets his arms ripped off and he's kicked into the yep. sea. And I noticed you get a lot yep. of like recurring monsters or monsters killed at one point will like kind of tie into something a little later. Mm -hmm. The show and did that. Too. The series isn't more. Okay. The, the show did that too. I was going to ask if like they just exploded like Power Rangers monsters. No, they would ex they would explode too, but some of them would get rebuilt and brought back. Yeah. It was a common thing. No pun intended. <laughs> now tell me, does Moray Eelman show up in the show? If I remember correctly, yes. <laughs> it's ninety eight episodes, and it all blends together like, after a little while. I, I love Cobra Man. I can tell you comes back. He was the first one to do it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's like the very beginning of the second one is Moray Eelman is just hanging out in a sea cave and Man Spider falls and he's like, oh, let me help you and saves his life. And we never see him <laughs> again. Just, he's just this very sweet yeah. cyborg. I'm really glad Common Rider doesn't kill. Yeah, yeah. Which well, is funny because there is something like that toward the end of the show that they do something like that, but with with different kaijin. There's also some other things in this manga that I think actually get adapted later toward the end of the show, you know, which you know, I'll get into that when, you know, when we get to it. The other thing that's different in here, and I think I think I'm trying to remember if it's revealed in this one or if it's the next one. One thing, we get the writer kick in the first chapter, which it took a few episodes of the show before the writer kick showed up. Hmm. And the other thing that's different is the transformation. They keep the wind thing. And there's even like this nice little speech. You know, I I have it written out, you know, because when Hongo is riding the motorcycle and it's almost like this incantation almost. He says, oh, wind, cry and howl. Raise a maelstrom within me. Become a storm. Mother nature, your energy is my power. <laughs> and he transforms. But. The thing that's different in here that you never see in the show is he takes the helmet hmm. off. He never takes the helmet off in the show. In some of the other adaptations, like Shin Kamen Rider, Master Rider the first, he will take the helmet off. It almost seems to imply that if he's not using the wind, he actually has to put the suit on in some form or Yeah, another. I was really confused about that because the professor that saves him mentions that like the the helmet's hidden in the bike. So I thought he's just like really good at changing real quick because 
Like mm-hmm. he never does the henshin pose in the entire manga. No, the the henshin pose is Hayato. Hayato started that. Mm. So that was, I think, around it was episode fourteen because Hongo is in the first. 13. So like, I mean, I'm, I would imagine though, by the time they got to the second half of this manga, that like, yeah, Hayato would have been introduced in the show as well as the henshin pose. So I'm surprised they never mm-hmm. introduced that yeah, as with- an element. Mm-hmm. Well, it was done for practical reasons because the Fujioka, who who was playing Hongo, he was crazy, and he actually played Common Rider. He wore the suit, mm. and it would do the stunts and everything. And he got hurt yeah. while making the show, and he had to leave to go recover. So they did a few episodes where they just didn't show Hongo, and they focused on the supporting cast, and then they brought in Hayato as a replacement. Well, the actor who played Hayato, his name escapes me, unfortunately unlike Fujioka, did not have a motorcycle license, so they couldn't do the wind transformation, so they invented the henshin pose to get around it, and then it just became a staple. And then everything, a lot of other things because of the accident, which is the double riders, the team-ups, having secondary riders, those all became tropes of the franchise, because Toei was trying to make lemonade out of lemons here. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I kind of wonder if like we would have even gotten later writers if it weren't for that, because like most of Shitaro and Shinomori's other things, like a Nazaman or a Kickhider, like I thought it was weird. Kick-hider, yeah. These ones just like get kind of their one series that's basically common writer with a slightly different twist, and then we never see them again. Yeah, yeah. Ishino, you can t- tell looking at Shinomori's other work that he liked certain tropes a lot. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like almost all of his stuff the vil- the heroes are fighting an evil secret society mm-hmm. <laughs> like he really loved that concept because they do it in go ranger because they have the black cross army in go ranger which is they're basically shocker <laughs> with slightly different tactics and goals but they're basically shocker and kakaiter you have uh, you have an organization called dark and you know it's just really tried on that one <laughs> Yeah, they they really did. Yeah, they really did. But the what's interesting, and I'm just thinking of this because I'm going through the Go Ranger manga again for Power Trip. They much like similar to this. They don't transform. They don't morph. They're basically the first Super Sentai team, mm. and they don't morph. They actually have to put the suits on, and they're they're basically humans in power armor. <laughs> I kind of like that. Like I, I can't imagine these suits issue for a common writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, since you know, we're kind of leading into it already, let's go into part two, which has Man Bat. Again, guys, there's a DC character named Man Bat. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like uh, somewhat similar to this guy in design. But I mean, uh, what do you expect from Man Bat? <laughs> from Man Bat. Yeah. Yeah. And we also get basically bee woman is it <laughs> bee woman the the gaudiest of shocker kaijin my word <laughs> tommy if you ever just want to amuse yourself go look up a picture of the original bee woman and it's just what the heck <laughs> who thought this was a good idea thankfully her costume isn't nearly as gaudy but uh she still has the bee cups oh my gosh <laughs> is she the one that's like Let's see. I know Man Bat's kind of making vampires. I'm trying to remember Bee Woman's involvement. 
she is, I'm trying, I'm looking See, her up she here was a B right plot, now just to kind so of I've remind kind of myself. Her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, I think she's basic. She's another shocker kaijin, and she's working with Mandat, helping him, you know, assisting him in his evil plot to make vampires. Yeah, I'm just flipping through, seeing all that, and my gosh, with Mandat, Juno Mori does not. I mean, the the first thirteen episodes of the show delved into some horror aspects, but man, it's even crazier in this. Okay, I have to just say, I just looked up Bee Woman on my phone, and <laughs> y- you know how, like, there's always these Turkish knockoffs, or, like, other countries will do these weird kind of sexual knockoffs of Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, anything that was big in the 70s. <laughs> no. Like, she looks like something I would imagine in the Turkish common writer, not... <laughs> <laughs> the actual series. Well, and then what's what's really wacky is Common Writer Decade brought her back using basically the same costume. They just made it look less gaudy. It still looks kind of gaudy, but they they tried making it look less gaudy. However, Keita Amemia really reimagined Bee Woman in Common Writer J. You've told me about that. The the sexy Bee Woman. <laughs> yes. Yes, I forget the character's name of that. They did reuse that some footage of that and that suit in Saban's Mast Rider. <laughs> and there's a reason why I some one of my friends found a review on Letterbox for Common Rider J that just the the review simply said, "Honestly, the monsters are hot." <laughs> I mean, as they should be with the amount of work that <laughs> Uh, shocker puts into their cyborgs and making them thematic like you might as well make them sexy <laughs> you might as well but yeah so there's a two-page spread with man bat flying with common rider in his hands you know and that like so he's carrying him in the air like that would have been extremely difficult mm. to do we see him flat out attack victims and bite their necks in true Dracula fashion, he, you know, he he goes after women a lot and turns them into vampiric minions. It's like this comic does not shy away from her from the her, from the horror. It, it it's and again, if you're not used to that, you know, especially when you juxtapose it against this kind of caricatured, exaggerated art style, it might be a little bit well shocking. No pun intended. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> I've noticed here too, like, while they'll get really horrifying and violent with things, like, they also get pretty goofy with a lot of the action. Like, I swear Common Rider's greatest power is just luck here, because, like, toward the <laughs> beginning of chapter two, he almost gets killed by, uh, I think, Man Spider or Man Bat, and, like, it's just mm. a random woman falling out of a, out of a window, like falling on man spider is the only thing that keeps uh, hongo from dying in the beginning of chapter two yeah <laughs> it's, it just falls right yeah she jumps out of the window and falls on him because <laughs> and it's one of ruriko's friends too mm. and there's you know like she just dies if i remember correctly. and then turns like, into a boiling puddle of goo like again, yep, more yeah the, this comic is kind of harsh <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, Common Rider defeats Manbat by ripping his wings off. And, like, oh, I'll take that antidote from is your that wings. In, is that in this one or the next one? 
Oh no! In the in chapter three, you wanna you wanna jump to chapter? Oh yeah, sure. Chapter two. Chapter two has uh, it's a lot of action. Oh, apparently the virus they use a virus in this because they're trying to make scientific vampires, and apparently the virus is intelligent. Hmm. That was a little weird. (laughs) Star Trek: The Next Generation wants to talk to you because they did that a little later. A sentient virus. Hmm. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah, that's what I can. But we get to part three, and oh my gosh, part three gets hardcore because Common Rider kills Man Bat with a cross-shaped tombstone, (laughs) (laughs) and it's like it holds like it's like a one-page spread of this and i was not prepared i was not prepared for that it was like this is like hammer horror gothic stuff here and like i he seems so pathetic once you kill man bat like because he doesn't have his wings anymore he looks like a little kitty person and this bloody cross just sticking out of his chest it's like i I can't believe i feel bad for man bat but common rider (laughs) you took it too far <laughs> Maybe, but man, just just hardcore. I'm trying to find the the picture of that just to remind myself that because it was it, it was crazy. I'm still seeing all like the chases and things like that. Oh yeah, here it is. Just man, <laughs> this is after this whole sequence where the common rider is grabbing onto him while he's flying and they're fighting in the air and then they crash into you know into a graveyard and you know, he gives him a a good couple of kicks there and then he just grabs the tombstone and stabs mm-hmm. him to the chest i want to highlight in that like pretty cool manga chase scene like I, we begin to find that the cyclone motorcycle can just do whatever the story needs it to. Like they, they even have this little, you see it do like a bunny hop over the cemetery fence. Like it's a sheep yep. jumping over the <laughs> fence as a cute little animation and everything. I'm like, there was no ramp there. Like, I guess this thing just hops. Yeah. Yeah. If they, uh, and then you get to common rider black where it's actually alive and it would, it would do stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, uh, and something I want to highlight from uh, chapter three, because after Man Bat gets taken up, taken out, that's when we get Cobra Man. Mm. He's even wilder in this than he is in the show, because the comic book medium allows for that. But there's some interesting things in this that I just want to highlight. It's just some cultural and historical stuff, because we have some environmental protesters here, mm. and they are actually referencing things that were going on in Japan in the early 70s. Yeah, I noticed that, like, it seems a little weird how they're blaming, like, all of society's ills on Shocker here. But, yeah, in Chapter 3, we find out, like, they're behind pollution and, like, some sketchy capitalism. They're kidnapping children. Like, everything Mm -hmm. wrong with this world is Shocker. Mm -hmm. But there's something that's very specifically Japanese in this that I'm glad was translated on one of these signs. Because it says, no more Minamata disease. That was actually something that was going on, and it was... Because of, if I remember correctly, I could be misremembering it, but I know it had to do with some environmental pollution that got out, that seeped in from a factory that's infamously seeped into drinking water, and it made people incredibly sick. Like I think it was basically mercury poisoning, Ooh. and it, yeah, and it was a huge controversy. And 
there's a reason why Godzilla versus Hedera is the way that it is because it was touching on some stuff like this. In fact, I even wrote down in my notes, if you go to page 212 and you get this montage sequence highlighting pollution that especially the panel here that has the broken doll yeah godzilla did that sludge too, right yeah this is very godzilla versus hedera yeah no they yeah they really don't pull any punches on the imagery there and i was curious if like okay so since this is all alluding to real life japanese events like Mm -hmm. Were there any like political murders of activists like this as well that this is pulling from, or is that just shocker antics? I think that's just shocker. I'd have to do a little bit more research. I just know it was incredibly controversial and there were a lot of protests at this point, some of which did turn violent and police had to get involved and such like that. You know, so it was, it was a very intense time. However, good news is it did lead to some government reforms and by the end of the 70s japan was able to curtail most of these like japan was a much cleaner country by the end of the decade hmm yeah uh, that's pretty interesting and I'm, i guess now i understand why like so many 70s toku things seem to revolve around pollution yeah they're very environmental and ashino mori it was it was something that was very important to to ashino mori hmm. you know it was, it was important to a lot of people at the time because it was this very current, very important issue at the time. And, you know, I think it's, it's handled pretty well here. You know, it's, it's acknowledging current events, but it's not reveling in it, which I think is very beneficial here. Godzilla versus Hedera again, has the subtlety of a sledgehammer, mm -hmm. but it's so weird and stylistic that I don't, one of those rare cases where like, I don't care if you have the subtlety of a sledgehammer. This is just, you're going about it in such a strange, unique way that I'm here for it. <laughs> now, I did notice with like this chapter is where you start to realize like it's, th this book isn't just brutal and it's physical violence. Like they really don't pull any punches on who the victims are in this series. Like when it starts focusing on that little kid whose dad mm -hmm. got murdered by Shocker, now he's like off with his friend and now the friend is like getting targeted and the common writer has to drop kick his dog and kill it. Like, I know. Yeah. I wrote that down. That, that's been a joke on Henshin men because there was an early episode of common writer where a dog who I'm not kidding was named dummy <laughs> gets killed by the monster of the week. <laughs> and so we started the hashtag justice for, for dummy. <laughs> <laughs> because of that because we just like that's how you want to establish it's a little bit of a cheap trick but it's that's how you want to establish that your villain is truly evil you have them kill the dog <laughs> so either you have them kill the dog or kill a child because normally they have plot armor mm. <laughs> you know but you kill the dog and suddenly it's like oh no oh no <laughs> but in this one the dog it, the dog's name is dolly D-A-L-I is how it's translated here. So I guess like the artist, hmm. Salvador Dali, I don't know. But what's funny is the dog does get called a dummy at one point. <laughs> hmm. I'm like, is that a, an homage to the show? That's a pretty deep cut if it is. But, you know, regardless, justice for Dali. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, like, I think this is maybe the weirdest of Shocker's plans we see, like, Cobra man's got like a Medusa woman with him that I yes. guess can make dogs go crazy. And then 
like turns things to stone when they die. <clears throat> yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mentioned that Shocker likes to get thematic with things earlier, but like they go hard with this. Like, okay, Snake Man, yeah, we're going to give you a Medusa girlfriend. And like, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why they had to develop this whole poison to turn people to rock when like, when regular poison just like do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you would think, but, you know, they're super villains. Yeah. They, you know, go big or go home. That's uh, the super villain way, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, Cobra Man is also pretty intense. I'm looking at this panel here because he has cobras for hands, <laughs> which they do do in the show, but it doesn't look nearly as cool as this. And, like, his whole upper body is a co- is basically a, a cobra hood, which they do to a certain extent in the show, but it's just, like, the actual actor's head. Hmm. So it's toned down. Again, the comic book medium allows them to be wilder. But like his cobra hands will fly up and bite people in the neck like a vampire. Hmm. <laughs> and inject the poison. It's really, really intense. Like I said. But at the same time, you also have some kind of funny things in here. Like I wrote down the cobra man. Oh, we should mention that all of these kaijin have their own their own branded goons like they're not just the shocker goons mm. like they get their own goons with their own costumes and everything which is kind of funny yeah shocker's got good <laughs> benefits in this like apparently but no like cobra man has what i call a snake in a box <laughs> <laughs> which is just kind of funny yeah not like his villains look like some 70s batman or 60s batman villains like yeah. hardcore like these guys be fighting for the riddler or something yeah i like it that's the thing it's like there are points where you look at the artwork and it's like this very weird juxtaposition it's definitely following some we'll say conve- comic conventions of the time but it's also going places hmm. that you don't normally see expect a comic especially in this era to go yeah and like i think this is that's kind of where the decompression like kind of works to the book's detriment. Like this Cobra Man chapter in particular, I, I feel like had a lot of interesting stuff it could have explored, especially toward the end. Like we find out that this Medusa or Queen Medusa is like, you know, his Cobra lover. princess. Oh, Cobra princess. Okay. I thought they called her Medusa in the comic, but well, I, the, in my notes, I have it written down as Cobra princess. So yeah, maybe she was referred to, by both i'm but, not sure yeah I'm kind like of flipping through to find it the shocker turns her into a cyborg to help cobra man because she doesn't want to see him get murdered she also doesn't want to see him going after common rider because like so far the kaijin don't have a great track record fighting common rider and then she creates an explosion that kills cobra man and she's like oh i can't live with myself for doing that and kills herself and she shoots herself in the head <laughs> And Common Rider has almost no response to that. He's like, well, all right, I'll call it a day. And like, there's no, I don't know, explanation of like how Shocker is corrupting love or like how there's some level of humanity in these Shocker cyborgs too, which like, you know, if this was an American comic, like Stanley would have waxed poetic about it for half a page. Yeah, it probably would have. I'm trying to find that because I wrote in my notes that hongo was affected by it but i'm getting it's it's probably just quiet brooding i think at this point Mm. he does a lot of that is that yeah that's because hongo is very good at that (laughs) as we have established (laughs) on uh, talking about the tv show 
Mm. So like it's, I'm trying to see where was that? What page is that on? I'm still trying to find it. 337. 337. Yeah, oh yeah, okay. and like it's not it's not with a gun in this. It's like she has laser snakes coming out of her head. Laser snakes. Yes, that's right. Zaps I got it herself wrong. in the head with her own laser snakes. Like that's Yeah, that's yeah. Hardcore. So it's still a it's still a headshot. Yeah. And I, I think the impl- the, the, I th- no, it's not an implication. I think she actually says that they're lovers. Mm. I think that's why she became a kaijin as well, is because she wanted to stay with her lover. So it ends up being kind of a tra- it ends up being a tragic love story to a certain extent you know, but like so they were working for shocker together the the impression that i got was that cobra man was converted by shocker she went along with it too because she wanted to stay with her lover he gets killed by common rider so she says i can't live without you commit suicide and then they die together mm. and then hongo just kind of stands there like wow yeah, no, uh, in the comic, like uh, she's like making explosions in a chase scene with Common Rider, and it's one of those explosions, I believe, that takes out Cobra Man. Mm-hmm. I, I really wish we had just had a page of some kind of processing or monologue because, like, she zaps herself in the head, and then the next panel is just Common Rider looking at the scene with a dot 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 coming out as a word bubble, and he's like, "Yes, what?" <laughs> And he, his head is just drooped. And the the implication, which was something that happened a lot in the show, was that this is what Shocker does to people. Mm. You know, because there were some Kaijin where they played up the idea that these were regular people who were forcibly changed. Mm. And, you know, so they were basically corrupted by Shocker. Some of them willingly went along with it. Like they were crazy to begin with. Like there were a few episodes where Shocker broke into prisons and found the worst of the worst prisoners in there. And then brought them to Shocker and brought them to their headquarters and made them into Kaijin. Hmm. You know, so you had stuff like that. But I think the idea is that because they ended tragically like this, because Cobra, like Cobra Princess is Medusa, whatever you want to call it. She's not in the show. This is an addition. Hmm. And Cobra Man was not anywhere close to this sympathetic. Hmm. But uh, I mean, with the tragic ending, that kind of leads into part four, which I think think is my favorite chapter of the book the 13 common writers the 13 common writers which this is the part that got adapted toward the end of the tv show because the and they show up in it's spoiler warning they show up in shin common writer <laughs> but there weren't this many there weren't 13 but what was funny is they called them the shocker writers hmm. in the show and they were color coordinated like a like a sentai tea oh they had different colored scarves oh that, that that's fashion baby that's yeah mm. yeah so you know, so you know our two because this is when we had this was a double writer story it was actually like a multi-episode arc which the show almost never did Ooh. and it was like three or i think it was about three or four episodes and so it was a double writer team up so you had hongo and hayato and they both have the red scarves and then the other ones would have one of them actually masqueraded as Hongo for an episode. Hmm. Fooled people, despite the fact they had a different colored scarf. But then when you look, I think there's six of them. Yeah, there's six of them. And they all have different colors. Like there's a there's I think there's a white, there's a yellow, there's a blue. Yeah. You're, so you, you just kind of sit there and you look at it as like they were prepping for Super Sentai with this, weren't they? <laughs> I gotta have to razz you for that line a second ago about like how he fooled everyone despite having a different colored scarf. Like, 
Nathan, be honest. Are you living in some world where the scarf is how you tell who's who? Like, is this some kind of face blindness <laughs> or something? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, that's what happened in the show. Mm. It didn't fool me. I, as the audience, knew. <laughs> but somehow the characters did not figure this out. I mean, I, I like, think that's a pretty bold thing for them to be like, wait a minute, you're wearing a different scarf. Are you even Hongo? <laughs> <Is> it- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, like, it, it, anyway so yeah the 13 writers in this and we also find out in this chapter i think it's around this chapter where we find out that takeshi has a family fortune and tachibana is managing it so i wrote in my notes so takeshi is batman yeah i mean <laughs> tachibana's like been pretty alfred throughout this whole thing so like mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's batman yeah, he's basically a Batman. But, and it's interesting, you know, this is the 13 comrades because they're the 12 that are the bad guys. And then you have Hongo. It's always interesting when the number 13 is used. Because I think uh, I wrote in my notes, because I think this is something that's said in the comic. I'm trying to see, but they said 13 is the number of death, I think is what they said in this. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. They have know, a. <laughs> how they say it. They have a whole line about, like, yeah, thirteen's the number of death. Oh, and also, like, we're going to kill you. Like, they're just very yeah, basically. T- tacked on there. Yeah, 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 they, they tack, yeah, they do tack it on. Oh, yeah, here it is. Yeah, page 359. 13 is the number of death, and you are the 13th common Rider. In other words, that shall be your fate. Like, you know, he was prepping that, said it, and you're like, wait, I might not have made that clear. Uh, we're, we're going to kill you. Like, the 13th. This yes. doesn't mean we're going to kill people. You are going to die. Do you get that? Yeah. Do you understand our speech? Yeah. And it's in a, there's a, it, there's a, it's a really nice sequence. There's a couple of two page spreads, and it's in the rain. Mm. It's at night. It's really atmospheric. It's like kind of a guerrilla and, warfare vibe, like throughout the chapter yeah. of him trying to take these on one by one. And like, yeah, mm-hmm. it feels desperate the whole chapter. Like, yeah, you can tell mm-hmm. he's in danger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did want to yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, like, you know, 13 in Western culture is considered unlucky. Mm-hmm. And, which I found out there's actually a reason for that. And obviously this seems to pervade in some other cultures, variations of it. It's because in a lot of ancient cultures, the number seven was viewed as the number of perfection. And the number six, because it's one short of seven, was seen as symbolic of imperfection or even evil. Hence why the mark of the beast is mm. 666. And 13 is seven plus six. Huh. Okay, I would have guessed it was something biblical, like with apostles and Jesus. Mm -hmm. But rewinding a bit, I noticed starting with this chapter, every chapter going forward, it seems like they just decide Kamen Rider's origin or more like his side characters and like alter ego's life is whatever they want it to be for the story. Because as Tubey's given this whole speech of like, outlining everything about Kamen Rider and how he's Batman. When we see the the love interest, he's like, oh, the boy, or she doesn't know the boy's secrets. I'm like, I'm pretty sure she's known he's Kamen Rider since chapter one. Yeah. It's Mr. Identity. Like, you really just want to make Batman all of a sudden and give him a secret identity. Yeah, when, a little bit, like, yeah. And I have a note here that talks about how the death of Ruriko's father plays out a bit more in this. Mm. Yeah, because that's a big deal 
in the show. Her father dies in the first episode, and she thinks Hongo did it as Common Rider. So for a few episodes after that, she is anti Common Rider. Hmm. She's like, I'm going to find him because he killed my dad, and then figure and then learns later that that didn't happen. It was Shocker who did it. Yeah, it was very Gwen Stacy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also write, you, know, you have a Batman connection. I made that. And then we also have a Dick Tracy connection because, because Hongo has a, has a smartwatch. Like he's Dick Tracy. <laughs> wow. And this, cha- they, they really just take whatever they want from other comic books here. Like they, they really do. That's what, you know, she don't, you know, it's, it's what you got to do sometimes, mm. you know, but I, this chapter is also noteworthy because we are introduced to Hayato. Hmm. in this and this introduction is a lot different than the show because <laughs> in this he's an he's already an agent of shocker and you know he's evil because he's wearing sunglasses inside <laughs> i'll wear my sunglasses at night yeah so, and so he's already been brainwashed and master Raider the first adapted this that's what's noteworthy about that movie is that it sticks closer to the manga than the show does. Hmm. So in the show, they take care of his origin in about five minutes. <laughs> Not even five minutes. It's like episode 14 starts and they just, and it just says, Hey, Hayato was kidnapped by shocker to make a second writer. And then Hongo saved him before they did the brainwashing. And now he's the writer. Have fun. Yeah. Didn't you say that happens all like off panel? Like, in a magazine or something they released around the same time uh no they show it but it's the fastest montage you've ever seen mm. yeah that's... It, it like they just get it over with as fast as they can mm-hmm. just to get the new character introduced and and move along so it's in this one it's given a little bit more space to breathe <laughs> i mean that's still more work than any other show at the time would have given for a recast like yeah if this were a soap opera i'd be like the part of Takeshi Hongo is now going to be played by, and that'll be it. So, you know, at least yeah. they gave us a five-minute montage. Yeah, well, not, and not even five minutes. <laughs> it's more like two. But, yeah. So we get introduced to Hayato in this, and the, and Hongo breaks the... For what I, if I'm flipping through looking at it again, I think Hongo breaks the brainwashing by clocking him in the face a few times. Yep. <laughs> so what's the cure for brainwashing? Fist to face. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, concussions Basically. ruin a lot of things, and mind control is one of those. Yes. But again, if you're used to the show, one of the probably one of the most shocking moments in the entire manga happens in this chapter. Because Hongo fights these, we'll call them the you know, the shocker writers, and he gets full tilt Bonnie and Clyded. <laughs> They just gun him down. <laughs> yeah, he's RoboCop before RoboCop. Yeah, he really is. That's because he has the limitation of he has to catch the wind on his belt to transform. So he's much more vulnerable. And I thought, okay, maybe he's just horribly mangled and, his, you know, his powers will save him or something. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> he dies. Thankfully, uh, Hayato's there, and he's like, "Hey, that guy that punched me is a pretty solid dude. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill all those mm-hmm. other writers to try and save yep. him." Yep, and and it, and it's revealed that he's also a common writer. Mm-hmm. 
So I would love to know how often this was getting published. I think it was being published monthly. I think that's what it said. Like there's an introduction to this that I think said that the the comic was being published monthly. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of my Go Ranger manga. But I'd be curious because I'm wondering if Ashinomori made the decision to bring in Hayato because of what was happening on the show. Hmm. Like I would assume so, uh, especially with like other than having an awesome chapter showing the death of one and the like now takeover of the other, like there's not much fanfare about the fact that it's a different writer in the rest of the book. So like I'm assuming this is just trying to model itself after the show. So kids aren't mm -hmm. seeing Hayato on screen and then reading about Hongo on the book when he's not been in the show for a minute. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But like I said, that was honestly the most shocking part for me reading this. I figured that Hayato would be introduced as the writer. I was not expecting Ishinomori to just kill off Hongo. <laughs> yeah, what I did find really interesting, and I'm sad that I don't think any of the shows have done this, like as Hayato's taking his first ride as the writer at the end of the chapter, we see that Hongo's brain has survived and they now have like a telepathic link and everything that Hayato feels Hongo's brain feels like that's some interesting body horror. Yeah. And that gets explained a little bit more in the next chapter and spo again, spoiler warning, Shin Kamen Rider does pay homage to that <laughs> in a really weird fashion, <laughs> a really weird fashion. But then we get to part five and much like the show, there's a very noticeable shift in the manga once you get to this mm -hmm. it gets lighter it gets a little bit more plot of the week monster of the week more episodic i wouldn't say it gets any less strange though like no it's still weird yeah part five feels very experimental with like all the weird cult subplots and the flying mm -hmm. stingrays like mm -hmm. yeah. flying stingrays because basically it's Hi Hayato goes back. I think it's his old hometown, if I remember yeah. correctly. He just goes to visit that, and there's weird things going on. I wrote in my notes that it's it reminds me a, a little bit. It doesn't get as extreme, but it reminds me a little bit of a Junji Ito story. Yeah, where you know, lots of really weird, just horrifying things are happening. But it's like the strangest thing you've ever seen, and then all of the intrigue and the secrets and the mystery, you know. And turns out. And this, there was a character like this in the show, but we have a crab man. Mm. <laughs> Our monster of the week is a crab man. That spits suds or soap bu bubbles or something. Deadly soap bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to scrub you clean. Mm. So clean that you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wrote that crab man comes from the Ebera school of fighting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, okay. You know, Ebra is from is from Godzilla versus the sea monster. Mm. <laughs> so it's a big shrimp. But yeah, and what's funny is that I thought the Manta was going to be the monster week, and there is a Manta monster in the show. Mm. But no, it's not so much the monster of the week as the plot of the week. You know, the swarm of flying mantas. And I don't know if it's the translator that seems to have eels and rays mixed up because they keep referring to them as electric rays. And... Mm. I'm not aware of that being a thing among like stingrays and manta rays and stuff. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, like, I'm pretty sure you're thinking of electric eels. 
like they don't act like they're electric because they're robotic. Because you're like, oh, they're flying electric eel or electric. Oh, there are. I just looked it up. There are electric rays. Oh, well, then don't I look stupid? <laughs> yeah, there is an electric ray. Yeah, it says they can they uh, they can produce an electrical discharge from eight to two hundred and twenty volts, hmm. depending on species. Yeah, like people really can't call Pokemon unrealistic anymore. Like that's this is the thing. That's, <laughs> <laughs> nature makes things uh, creates things that are weirder than any yeah, Pokemon. electric water types like we, it took us a few generations to get to that so <laughs> which is weird because if you know anything about pokemon then that thing should basically be destroying itself <laughs> if you go by types but i haven't touched pokemon since other than pokemon go since gen 2 so mm. i'm really out of touch <laughs> and yeah and i'm i'm more of a digimon girl so i that nature hasn't beat Digimon, where sometimes your dog's a gun and you have to fight God about it. <laughs> that is one of the most wonderful out-of-context things I have ever heard. <laughs> you need to put that on a t-shirt just to get weird looks. <laughs> sometimes your dog is a gun and you have to fight God about it. And then you like, what the heck are you even talking about? Oh, Dig Digimon. Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> you start a whole conversation with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, what's your overall thoughts on our first full-fledged Hayato chapter here? Uh, I really like that they have this psychic back and forth between him and Hongo. And I'm really sad that they immediately drop that in future chapters. But like it works really well to highlight the differences between the two and like Hayato mm -hmm. seems to be a little bit more headstrong and careless. He's quippier. Mm -hmm. He's happier. He's happier than, than, than Hongo, which is also true in the show. So the show got lighter mm -hmm. as well. And probably because Hayato is swimming in women. Like he's got a, <laughs> he's got a love interest. He does on home. the show too. <laughs> The next chapter. But the funny thing is, he just one. ignores all of them. It's like you got all these pretty girls around you, and he ignores them. Well, that's just pick up artistry one on one, Nathan. Like you, you got to <laughs> neg them, you got to act like you're not interested, and that makes them more interested. Like, yeah. yeah. Although, although, let's be honest. In this flashback, Hayato's a cad, <laughs> <laughs> and that's putting it politely. Like he basically, you know, he accidentally gets a girl to kiss him, and then she freaks out. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, Sandlot method. Mm. Yeah, like what the heck, man? Mm. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, because he's he's meeting up with his parents. His dad has a giant nose, which threw me off a little bit. I was like, is that just the art, or is is something going on with him? But I think it's just a thing with the art. Yeah, everyone's so weird to him in that chapter. So uh, yeah, I thought that this was some like deformity caused by Shocker. But mm -hmm. I'd say that's really the thing that brings it down for me is like, it's a little bit too surreal for a character that like hasn't had a status quo yet. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, it's just weird to meet all these characters and be like, but they're acting off. I'm like, well, I don't know that. I haven't seen your origin. Yeah, for sure. And then you, we have some other kind of classic, like silver age comic book tropes mm. in this we have sharks with mind control pods on their heads because why not exploding <laughs> sharks with mind control pods. and yeah shark bomb like they blow up i'm like exploding mind controlled sharks we couldn't give this you the laser beam sharks we'll blow them up then <laughs> okay <laughs> 
and the and Hayato. Oh, I forgot here on page. 526 there's an anatomical drawing of common rider explaining how all of his powers work and all of the components inside of him yeah i feel like that feel more at place in like a modern anime like a lot of times they'll have infographics before they cut to commercial or cut back like attack on titan does that mm-hmm. my hero does that mm-hmm. i think i know why they had to just throw this into the middle of it though just so all the kids know like yeah but common rider can breathe underwater because he's got an oxygen take or something yeah except the way he get the way he survives in this is he he pulls a jonah <laughs> in a belly of a whale oh, what, did, did i suppress that or do i just gloss over from hearing that story too much in bible school <laughs> escape well that's how he does it he, he gets into the belly of a whale and gets back to this and then he bursts out of it ah that's that's messed to, up to get away from the exploding sharks <laughs> Now that's that's got to be the weirdest team up with Common Rider and a whale kaijin. Not the only the time that's going to happen, but no. And then we got and then we had a tentacle face monster at the end, and this is a pretty wild chapter. Oh yeah, they they're lousy with kaijin in this. Just and I noticed this going forward until the end of it. Like they'll just throw multiple monsters the week at him, and usually handles it without too much issue. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, the 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 whale thing. It starts around page 578, and then there's a two-page spread right after that where he's exploding out of the whale. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, just... oh, oh, no, 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 no. It's a page 583. The, the two-page spread is the underwater, is the Shocker's underwater base exploding. Yeah, which, like, American comics wouldn't do that for another 50 years till The Boys Season 2 eventually got to it. <laughs> yeah, and then the chapter ends with a dead whale floating up to the surface, and Hayato bursts out of its stomach, crawls out, and the last panel of the chapter is Hayato standing triumphant on the on this dead whale while the sun starts breaking through the clouds. F you, Aquaman! <laughs> it was just that was wild when i saw that I'm like man there's no way they could have done that in the show yeah. that would have been extremely difficult to do the whale cruelty is just out of nowhere too like we haven't seen him dealing with whales at all and then as he's escaping the self-destruct laboratory like there's just i guess a little pool full of whales that are conveniently kind of bomb proof well their insides are bomb proof <laughs> Their insides are bomb-proof, but they are not comma, uh, writer punch-proof. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, he's hiding in there, and he goes, right up, punch, and it just bursts right through. <laughs> just when I think I've seen everything, I see a superhero a, a cheat death by riding in the belly of a whale. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they've been t- tale as told as time, literally. Like, that one is in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> Swallowed by a whale. Although in in Jonah's case, he was literally vomited mm. onto the beach. He's just like, Bleh. yeah. I, I wish there was more punching involved in that story, but we don't know <laughs> that he didn't just punch the uvula, and that's what got him out. <laughs> that actually, that would be really funny. He just, like, and then the whale's like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh my gosh! And then we get to chapter six world of masks which if i remember correctly i think there's 
I read someplace, I'm going to double check it. I brought this up in my Shin Common Writer episode with Shane from Master Rider, the audio drama. Hmm. The, I think this is a title kind of like this. It was is being bandied about as a sequel to Shin Kamen Rider. I'm going to double check really quick here. But yeah, but like I said, it's called World of Masks. Hmm. Let me see potential sequel. Yeah, actually, Mask Masker World is what it says. It, it might be a little bit of a weird translation, so maybe World of Masks might be a better one. So it could be an homage to this. So this is a sequel to Shin Kamen Rider? Yeah, that's a potential sequel to Shin Kamen Rider. The title that's being bandied about is Masker World, hmm. which maybe World of Masks might be a better translation. Which surprises me since, like, okay, as far as literal masks go, there's not a lot of them in this. Like, really, it's the kids in the beginning wearing Kamen Rider masks, mm -hmm. him himself, and then non non-binary icon Mothman is technically <laughs> wearing a couple human masks. Yeah, and it starts with this. I'm. I think it's supposed to be a a narrator basically giving a thematic statement, which it's a good way to start off. Which is all people wear masks. Beneath that mask lies their true face. That's a um, an anonymous way to start your story. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, like that keeps going throughout, like. I, I think one of the most shocking images in this entire book is when he's fighting someone masquerading as the daughter of like Hinoshita Electronics, I think. And like he grabs at her clothes and rips the entire <laughs> woman away. And you're like, you even lied about being a woman. And then like, it's <laughs> like, it's like, it keeps reminding me of that scene in Austin Powers. <laughs> Almost. Then like, <laughs> And then he breaks out of the man suit that was underneath that. Like, I'm not a man or a woman. I'm a moth. I'm a moth. <laughs> yeah. And so, so we have that thematic statement. Then we get common Kennies, as I like to call them, hmm. which they did stuff like this in the show, too, where the kids know who common writer is and they play common writer and. Then there's the scene where the the because the it's a sister, older sister, teenage sister who has a, you know, has a younger brother and she, she catches him watching a TV show he's not supposed to be watching. And I just wrote down, I was like, is he watching a soap opera or porn? Because hmm. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I just know he's watching something he shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I think he's yeah. flipping through the channels and that's all that's on is like intense soap operas, pornography, I think some violence. And like, all right, just no yep. more TV for you. Yeah, no more no more TV for you. But then funny enough, I'm trying to remember where is it? The I don't think it was on the TV, but there's 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 a, a coy little Easter egg in this where I think it's later on when we see Hayato you know dressing basically dressing like speed racer mm -hmm. doing motorcycle stuff. Or no, no, that's one of the girls, excuse me. But it says Toei Motocross. Oh yeah, I saw that. Clever. Clever comic. Clever. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah yeah so this chapter again like gives common writer an entirely new like backdrop so now he's mm -hmm. got uh, i forget the name of the kid but uh, like ko yeah, yeah ko or uh, koji kun yeah i guess now he's just pals with a little kid who's dying of leukemia because of hiroshima radiation 
Yes, I actually I made a, an, a very an extensive note on this, and because what we find out is that his parents survived the bombing, and the implication the comic doesn't come out and say this because this was common knowledge, no pun intended, in Japan at the time. It was a misnomer. It was actually believed that people who survived the atomic bombings would pass down their damaged genes to their children. Yeah, that's how Spider-Man killed Mary Jane. Really? Yeah, the irradiated spider semen. That, that, that's in a horrible comic. Ew. I'm not making this up. Spider-Man Reign. Why does Marvel hate Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, the fans are all saying that right <laughs> they now. They love Spider-Man, but they hate Spider-Man. I just... They make so many stupid decisions with Spider-Man. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's a story for another day. That's a rant for another day. But... Anyway, so it was a misnomer. I think it was starting to be disproved at this time, if I remember correctly. I think, yeah, because I know it was a thing through the 60s. So I think this was around the time where that was being disproven. But I just find it interesting that my interpretation of this is that Ishinomori's touching on that. Mm. Whether he, I don't know if he necessarily subscribed to the idea or not. The, I can't make heads or tails of that based on what we see here. But it does still play on the very Japanese concern about residual radiation. And there's other popular media from Japan that touched on that as well. There was, some, you know, a lot of tokusatsu actually touches on it. And in some cases it gets them in trouble and the mm. episode gets banned. <laughs> Looking at you, Ultra 7. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, no, I, I don't know about the story between like Ultra 7 got banned for one episode got banned the, there was they had an alien monster of the week that the name i can't remember what its name was but it was dangerously close to a a term of uh, the word in japanese that was used for atomic bomb survivors hmm. so they tried to tweak it later as the episode got closer to emphasize that it was, and it was designed to look a little bit like a radiation victim. Mm. They tried emphasis, tried changing a super, tried to change it later to make it more like, no, it's a vampire monster. But there were some activist groups for they're the Hibakusha is what they're called. You know, the, the atomic bomb survivors, the activist groups made enough of a stink that after the episode aired, Supro basically stuffed it into the vault and pretended it didn't happen. <laughs> hmm. It's one of a couple of times where something like that actually happened in the history of Tokusatsu. There were two Toho movies that actually got banned for, well, one was for similar reasons and one was for other reasons that were sort of related because it dealt with prejudice. So, but it's wild. I did find, uh, while you're explaining that, yeah, page 653 he straight up says, and now the fearsome radioactivity from 20 years ago has given that boy lethal leukemia. Yes, yeah, on this big two-page spread with all, you know with an like a, I'm guessing a an imaginary mushroom cloud in the back with mm. the speech by Hayato who's yeah, basically driving in know, the shadow condemning radiation and things like that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But on a lighter note, I did like the the funny little line here that's early on in the chapter where someone's and I always it's, lines like this always make me laugh. You know, like if you're watching a movie and someone says, this isn't a movie. Well, someone flat out says, this ain't no manga for kids. <laughs> I think this comic is self-aware. <laughs> this is clearly a manga for adults. Did you see the way we killed Man Bat? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then this chapter is also noteworthy because we meet another popular common Rider character, Taki. Yeah, the uh, secret agent. Yep, the secret agent who in the, in the show, he's a member of the Japanese branch of the FBI, which I add to confirm. It's like, does the FBI actually have a Japanese branch? They do. Hmm. <laughs> Still would have made more sense if he was part of Interpol, personally, but whatever on that. Now, their introduction and his introduction to this is very different than the show. In this, he bumps into Hayato while they're both trying to infiltrate the Shocker base. And then they basically just butt heads and compete over taking out Shocker first. Whereas in the show, he's introduced as someone who's also chasing after Shocker and also is getting married. And then after the, episode 12, when he gets married, his wife mysteriously disappears and is never spoken <laughs> of again. He's <laughs> really sensitive was, about it. Okay, I just, I'm just confused. There were many points where <laughs> Travis and I were cracking jokes about like, Taki, why are you flirting with the writer girls? You're a married man. <laughs> the show forgot, but apparently the show forgot you're married. And then we started, got to a point where the show would just forget little detail, well, little details like that, that we started saying like, the, oh, like, I think the show has a memory hole and it just throws <laughs> things in there. <laughs> and it gets forgotten. One of them is Taki's wife. <laughs> I love how when he meets Taki infiltrating Shocker, like he's literally just wearing a coat and a hat and like walking around all sneaky. Like, I don't know how he got this far. I'm not sure I believe he's with the FBI because like their backup is a bunch of kids on motorcycles and not like the entire FBI. I don't yeah. understand why they don't have more resources at their disposal, but you know, budget cuts. Yeah, budget cuts. <laughs> that is possible, but it's nice seeing him in here when he's a he's a very he's a big part of the the show. He basically becomes the Robin to both Common Rider's Batman. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So he's a, he's a cool character. He's a really cool character, and he's. I, I there was a reimagined version of him who appeared in a few episodes of Common Rider Black, also named Taki, hmm. who's a secret agent. And spoiler warning, even though it doesn't look like it, if you until much later, he is in Shin Kamen Rider. Hmm. And does he have like some kind of ray gun with him? Like we see he's able to take out the cyborgs with it, but wasn't quite sure if it was just a regular gun that looks cool or if he like has a full on laser. I'm not sure actually. What uh, what page is that on? Let's see. Well, he takes out the, I think Jaguar Man with it on page six seventy. Okay, 670. Oh, yeah, and Common Rider says, that's some kind of ray gun, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But does he have that in the show? No. He he typically just karate's things. Ah. (laughs) Jaguar Man is is in the show, but he looks really different, and he doesn't turn into a literal Jaguar. That's actually more what happens in Common Rider. But we also get introduced to, and I would actually like to see this come back in some form or another. I think this could be interesting, especially in the times in which we live. But we find out that our villain of the uh, our villain in this chapter is Big Machine, which I'm assuming probably sounds a little cooler in Japanese. Although it does make for a nice joke later on because someone calls him Jig Machine. Oh yeah, nice job, guys. Nice job, guys. But it's basically an AI, 
and it's it's kind of doing the as I'm looking of it here. Yeah, I actually said the Ishinomori has a pressing and political commentary. The Japanese government is implementing a code system to control people via numbers. And Shocker just took advantage of it. It reminds me a lot of what Hydra was trying to do in the Winter Soldier movie, where they developed the algorithm that could predict if people would be loyal to them or not. And anyone that the algorithm says they will not submit, they go kill them. Hmm. Yeah, and I think in the U.S., it was somewhere around this decade was when we implemented the social security system. And I'm wondering if Japan was doing a similar thing at the time, and if this is it all commentary on that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't surprise me. You know, this is probably something that was becoming more common. No, again, no pun intended mm-hmm. at the time. And you can tell, you can tell, Shinomori is not beyond criticizing the government <laughs> with this. Yeah, and for a guy that seemingly only writes about cyborgs. He seems kind of anti-technology. Like they even give a line towards the end of the chapter of the very idea of using a computer. It's absolutely outrageous. Mm. (laughs) Well, time proved him right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in his defense, you know, you had some, an American author like Ray Bradbury who famously was distrustful of modern technology, but he was also, a fan of writing about fantastical uses of technology, mm. like rockets that could go to Mars and things like that. The tension is certainly there. And I because that's where a lot of science fiction authors, that's where they live. They live in that tension. They're, mm. They understand the potential drawbacks and the fears of technology, but they also know that technology can do wondrous things. And they'll write about those too. So it, it's just a unfortunately a place that you have to live in and i think most people that's where in real life that's where they live technology is wonderful but it's also scary yeah (laughs) i think that's the 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 planet right now more or less like okay if i don't know if you've seen the new mission impossible but it's like oh dead reckoning not not quite yet but i i do want to see it really it's like the most existentially terrifying movie i've ever seen because like the internet just is the bad guy the internet is self-aware and they're like yeah, this thing that can control the news, it can control, like, it can radicalize people, it can turn you against your loved ones, and, like, it's just waiting to do whatever it will, and, like, we don't know what to do about it. We're going to call Tom Cruise. He might know something. (laughs) (laughs) Ethan Hunt will save us. Yeah, and, like, watching that, I was kind of shaking in my seat. I'm like, oh, crap, we we live in that timeline now. This is... (laughs) now like all of this could happen with or without the evil ai yeah Whew. i mean come on the terminator has been warning us about mm. it for 40 years <laughs> skynet is a coming mm. <laughs> skynet is a coming but yeah just a couple more quick little notes that i'll bring up for this there's another kind of easter egg where the uh, on page 731 where the old man is reading a Shonen Jump comic. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And he's got Shonen Magazine going on. Shonen Magazine. Like, okay. Yeah, that, that's kind of funny. Mm. <laughs> and it should be noted. Uh, I should note this. There is a sequence in here that... Because I've heard some people comment on this in terms of Shinomori's art style. And you know, wondering if it's... I'm basically trying to say it's problematic. It's with different things, not specifically this, but there are some, it's around page 720, 721, where we see 
caricatured Native Americans. Right. Out of nowhere, too. Like, I don't. Yeah. Think... In this big in this big horse sequence, like this horse stampede that tries to get Taki and Hayato. Like, I didn't think they were actually there because they said something like, oh, yeah, this is like a cowboy movie, like a massive Indian raid. I'm like. And mm-hmm. then you see the caricatures that would be a place mm-hmm. in like old Peter Pan. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, like an entirely unnecessary panel. Yeah, yeah, because they don't really show up other than that first panel. And it's mostly them dealing with the horses. Like the horse literally, one horse literally tries to eat Taki's head. Oh, yeah. Like bite his head off. And it just gets a mouthful of helmet, <laughs> which is, which looks really funny. But yeah, so it's the horses that they end up dealing with and not these Native Americans. And something I will tell you, because I've heard people talk about this, and I also heard somebody defend it, because I think it was they were speaking of it in terms of one of Shinomori's other well-known creations, which is the anime Cyborg 009. And people have said that the characters in that, because it's supposed to be people from all over the world, and they say they look really caricatured the way that he designed the characters. And for some people, that's problematic, but... For Mori, he didn't mean it to be that way. It's just his art style. His intention was to make an international, diverse cast of characters. And he was just trying to visually communicate where they are from as a celebration of the diversity. And I mean, I know this is a long-running issue in anime and manga, but like borderline blackface. Yeah. Uh, so like, I can certainly see the criticism. Mr. Popo. But, oh, Yeah. <laughs> Again, we were talking a little bit about common right again about common writer Black Sun with you know with some stuff that happens later on. I do think the Japanese often will use stuff because they know it's bad or they just find the aesthetics appealing, not realizing the cultural weight that it holds. Mm. Mr. Popo is an example of that. I'm sure Toriyama did not mean it to be racist. He just liked the look of it and wanted to use it for of one of a weird looking character that he had in Dragon Ball, not realizing the weight of it. If you watch to kind of connect it back to Common Rider, there are episodes of the original show where we actually get to see, or at least we think we're seeing the inner circle of Shocker. And they dress in red robes with pointy masks. Hmm. So basically they look like clan robes, but red. Again, I don't think they realize the the weight that that holds in in America. They just know, oh, that's associated with evil, so we'll use it for our bad guys. And I mean, their bad guys are also like Nazis, more or less. So at least it's fitting there. Yeah, it is fitting there. I mean, they have a they have a general at one point, his uh, Colonel Zoll, who flat out looks like a Nazi. Hmm. Like he's wearing it. It lo- looks like an SS uniform the entire time. Hmm. So they just know it's it's good shorthand for bad guys. And they, they have a they have a Dr. Shinigami who dresses like Dracula, like straight up dresses like Dracula. Now, Americans might look at that and think it's kind of funny, but they're trying to say like, oh, no, he's evil, guys. In case you didn't know. He dresses like a vampire, all right? You've got to be evil to be bold enough to try and bring back capes. I mean, I'm I'm with them on that single point, but everything else, uh, they lose me. Yeah. So, I am like I said, I'm going to I'm bringing it up to acknowledge it. I don't think any ill there was any ill intentions on Ashino Mori's part. It could have been a little bit of ignorance on his part. 
or just he meant something at least with cyborg 009 he meant something positive through it it just sometimes depending on who you are the optics don't always work mm -hmm. so just wanted to bring that up and then this is the end of it you know so it has this really sad ending where Ko where koji dies yeah i want to rewind on that like we have this big climax and shockers like most underground mountain size base and like as things are wrapping up and the place self-destructs like common writer even says like oh no we forgot to grab a scientist to s cure his leukemia and then next page it's the hospital bed of the dead boy yeah also, it should be mentioned here, Hongo, I, I, we didn't mention it earlier. We were just talking about the voice in his head. But one of the wildest, craziest things that happens in this, I'm surprised I didn't see my note about this. Hongo gets sort of saved as a brain in a jar. Yeah. And now he shows up in like an android body as a deus ex machina yep. in the end, using the common writer luck powers once again. Yep. And it's like, well, how did you get past the army of horses and get all the way into this base and didn't Radiohead like, hey, hi, I'm coming. I'll help you out. Like, and there was no mental communication throughout this whole chapter. They could have thrown. Yeah, they dropped there. they dropped the mental communication thing. I, I think after the chapter, five. the chapter where he goes back, where Hayato goes back to his hometown. Yeah, then I don't know. I, I think maybe just Hongo checked out and was like, oh, you're hanging out with a dying kid. Yeah, that's too sad. I got I'm going to I'm just be breaking a jar for a while. Yeah, I, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm busy. And then and then he, like I said, he has an Android body and then shows up. It's just it, the comic. I, I don't know if I want to say it comes off the rails necessarily, but it gets really weird. Now, I mean, and this is all in like the last 15 pages or something like it's a long chapter like it's 200 pages or more long that they spend on like the siege of shocker's base and then literally and yeah like the last 15 16 pages all of a sudden han goes back they defeat shocker they escape explosion boy is dead and then hongo or haido gives like the most tasteless line and the series is over in 15 pages mm -hmm. which i i want to emphasize that that's how the series goes out like boy has just died on the previous page the sister's like it's all right he lived his short life to the fullest he could in his own way and hayato says the sad the thing that's sad in using science the weapon of civilization to fight against the wrong enemies says that to someone mourning their dead little brother and that's the end <laughs> And that's it. That's how it ends. Like the main, the main manga ends on that note. It is a really weird place to end. Which, I mean, that makes me wonder, I don't know how much of this was coming out monthly. Cause there's no way they just threw 200 pages out there like this. I like, am wondering if they had gotten to the buildup and like maybe in the last chapter or two, they're like, Oh, you're only going to give us 15 more pages. Well, we got some stuff to cram in there. Then let's, let's go time. Yeah. And then what's funny is I got to that point. I was like, wait, that's it. And there's still like 40, 50 pages left. And then you go through and it's a, it's, I don't, unfortunately I don't have notes on this, but it's a collection of illustrations. It's basically bonus material. So there's some collection of illustrations. There's what's called common writer, Disneyland edition. Mm. Like, wait, what common writer was in Disneyland? Probably 
it's probably Disneyland Tokyo, I'm guessing. You know, and, and it's just some illustrations yeah. with the character promoting some stuff. There are some yeah. short stories in the back. Like very many comics that seem like condensed versions of what you've already read. And it's usually just yeah. like two to five pages of here's a monster, common rider punches it, now it's dead. Mm-hmm. Now, some of these monsters, I can't tell you, like Ray King and Slugzilla, <laughs> for real, that's what they called him. Because the name, it he has this, I think it's, it's basically like Slugra, hmm. essentially, in Japanese. He has a suffix in his name that is actually translated as Zilla for Godzilla. So Ray King, Slugzilla, they actually do appear in the show. Hmm. You know, so, but they're just a couple of pages. It's basically, you know, just common writer i'm not sure which one it is but he he just fights the villains and wins in a couple of pages they do another one later on here which is uh what is this the fun kindergarten edition where he fights man spider again you know the art style is similar but it's a little bit different as well but it's like you said it's really just kind of condensed version of what you've already read man bat comes back and does a lot of the same stuff there's maybe like a little bit more of a moral or like Sometimes Common Rider will just address the audience. Like one of them, he pops out of a TV and tells kids like, hey, don't stay up too late watching TV. Out of nowhere. Like It's not related to the rest of the chapter. He just kills a monster by making its horns too big. <laughs> yeah, there's a joke there. <laughs> Cobra Man, show, I, I think it's Cobra Man. Yeah, he shows up a little bit here. There's one that actually says, Common Rider, watch Saturday nights at 7 p- at 7.30 p.m. You know? <laughs> Which like at least and it, and it has a bowl monster, which I, I what I do like about the bonus material is it does kind of cue the reader into like culturally how big of a deal this show was when it came out and like yeah mm-hmm. seeing a Disneyland promo and all these TV ads like okay yeah this seems like it was pretty big. Mm-hmm. I really would have loved to have more of a forward or an afterward in this book to kind of explain one why it yes. ends so quickly and weirdly and two maybe just like talks more about like the influence of this series just on Mm -hmm. like culture in general Mm -hmm. as i can tell you the the go ranger manga from seven seas did that Mm -hmm. there was a little introduction for it and there was a glossary in the back that explained some of the cultural references and i know that one's not pushing 900 pages like this one so like no that one it's about it's about half as long it's about 450 yeah maybe they thought like okay this book can't physically contain much more without falling apart so gotta cut possibly because yeah this is you know this is this is a brandon sanderson novel right here you know this is lord of the rings or war and peace Mm -hmm. you know this is thick (laughs) yeah just like common writer uh himself i'm gonna be using this book to kill spiders from now on (laughs) (laughs) on yeah i like listening to the to the podcast writing excuses and Brandon Brandon Sanderson, the fantasy author, is in that, and he's known for writing novels that are mm-hmm. this thick. And his friends always joke about how whenever he publishes a new fantasy novel, they call it a Chihuahua killer. <laughs> 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 you like throw the book at a small dog, and it's not gonna you know and kill it. Because <laughs> uh. this, yeah, this thing's hefty. So we really breeze through that pretty fast. So. <laughs> Tommy, what are your overall thoughts on the manga? 
having not seen much of the original show. Yeah. So this is my first time reading a manga this old, and it did really make me appreciate classic manga over classic comics to an extent, because like I was able to read 50 pages of this in 15 minutes just because of how fast paced it is and how action heavy. Whereas an American comic from that time, from like Stan Lee or Chris Claremont, that amount of pages would have taken me a good hour at least just from like the excessive Mm -hmm. text. So like Mm -hmm. they're very dense by comparison. Yeah. Like, well, I think the series has like a tragically weak ending. I think a lot of it like is really strong. It's a pretty fun, easy read. And I like to think that like if Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko had not had to cater to a writer that was like just plastering text over otherwise great artwork that American comics could have been more like this. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so I'll just say classic manga holds up way better than uh, classic comic books from equivalent time periods. I think this is a pretty great introduction to like the classic common writer. Like if you're not wanting to track down and watch old seventies TV, I feel like this is a little bit more accessible and palatable to like a, an audience that maybe isn't as accustomed to how weird toku especially 70s toku can get oh yeah 70s toku is wild but this comic is really is even wilder at points Mm. i I think our discussion of this for the people listening it's like i hope you understand just how crazy this comic gets it because this 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 comic is a wild ride i agree with you there i and i also think that it's also i think a nice introduction to manga because manga is a little bit different than western comics we'll say you know american and british Mm -hmm. comics comic books are an american invention but like a lot of things once the the medium got to japan they took it in some really wild different directions that then ended up influencing american comics you know with especially with the decompression so you know i for the analogy that i like to use with ashinomori is that we'll say that tezuka osama tezuka who created astro boy he's basically the stan lee of manga because he's like the you know the grandfather you know the godfather of all of it even anime to a certain extent because anime got started because of comics Hmm. and i would say ashinomori is like a jack kirby hmm yeah, by equivalent, he has because he has a very robust, pro, a very robust art style, and it was very prolific in what he did. And unlike, you know, it was something that's also really different for mangaka. That's what they call manga creators. But in American comics, you'll have a separate writer and artist. Typically, not always the case. There's some exceptions to that, but in most cases. A manga creator is both drawing and writing it. Now, again, there's also exceptions to that. Like Death Note had a separate artist and writer, but still. So Shinomori is doing basically everything in this. Yes. And I love how like his visual style clearly has like pervaded all of Japanese superhero media. Like with the exception mm-hmm. of, I guess, like Magical Girls, pretty much any transforming superhero looks something akin to the original common Rider or Super Sentai, like much more than they might mm-hmm. Ultraman. And even then mm-hmm. with Magical Girls, like where they get the henshin pose from? Freaking Common Rider. From Common Rider, yeah. Ultraman had a pose, but I think they kind of stumbled into that. Yeah. <laughs> it was just to maintain continuity between what the actor, the face actor did, and then when they switched to the suit, because mm-hmm. he would hold up the transformation device in a fist. 
and then he would then trigger it and then it was supposed to be he transforms it gets bigger so then the ultraman always finishes the transformation with his fist up like this you know hmm. and so th th that one they just kind of stumbled into it but this is done very intentionally yeah that pose i only in the last year realized that like that's ultraman getting bigger when it's like viewing his fist coming at the screen i always thought he was like flying at the viewer or something and there are times where that happens. <laughs> I've watched a lot of Ultraman, and there are yeah. points where that happens. I mean, SSS Gridman, I think that's more what's happening mm -hmm. in that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that was made by Subaraya. Yeah. yeah, it's based on a tokusatsu show from the 90s that was also made by Subaraya. Heavy Ultraman influences. But then again, you look at a lot of what Toei has done, and it, you can tell that they made Ryder and Super Sentai and even the stuff they made that wasn't those is still very similar. Mm. <laughs> you know, and like we said, Shinomori created so much. He contributed so much to both manga and anime and tokusatsu because he made Cyborg 009, Kamen Rider, Super Sentai with Go Ranger, Kakaider. He did, he did so much. You know, Toei owes a lot. To Ashinomori, which might explain why they actually let Ashinomori direct an episode of the Common Writer show. <laughs> he did episode eighty-five, and it's actually one of the most visually interesting episodes of the of the whole show. I know Common Writer is often credited as like the originator of the Monster of the Week formula, at least like the version of it with having a bigger monster and a bunch of henchmen, and you know, mm -hmm. blow it up at the end of the episode. I'm wondering how much of that could more be attributed to 60s Batman? Because I feel like the mm -hmm. Adam West Batman series did much the same, at least with having a bunch of mooks mm -hmm. and then like one villain of the week. I mean, they mm -hmm. never blew them up by the end of the episode and wasn't the same like transformation sequence. But I do feel like this is kind of the culmination of throwing together a lot of the things that like have been cool about Japanese superhero media and American superhero media into one. Mm -hmm. And then like that carried on into the later seasons of super sentai once it started incorporating what mm -hmm. they pulled from like japanese spider-man and other shows mm -hmm. so like I, I think the real tragedy of american comic readers not really being that exposed to toku heroes is like we give all this credit to superman and batman and the classic marvel heroes when we totally miss like how influential common writer and ultraman were on the medium mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i agree with you there and the the, the adam west batman show was popular in japan when it got imported mm. which might explain some of some of what we got in the 70s with with the toku hero shows because there are points particularly once you get past the first 13 episodes of common writer where it often feels like the adam west batman and i mean even what i've seen in those first 13 episodes like the visual style feels very reminiscent like the villains almost seem like they're dancing as much as they're fighting and yeah, just mm -hmm. that like goofy and experimental it is like that all feels very Batman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The thing about the show, and I suppose it, this could also be attributed to the manga as well, is that it was made by filmmakers who had a lot of grit and determination and pluck mm -hmm. because they did not have the money that an Ultraman show had. Mm -hmm. And so they did absolutely everything that they could with what little they had. And they had to earn the budget that they got later because as the show went on and it got more popular, they did get more money. They got a little bit more elaborate and daring with their stunts 
and their special effects. I mean, like when you get to some of the later episodes, like in, once you get to like episode 90 and the shocker writers show up and then there's the big two part finale, like they are going balls to the wall with it. <laughs> still doesn't quite have the production value of an ultra series, but still they're going crazy as crazy mm -hmm. as they can. I like that they did get that budget or they earned it. Like I've heard about how much common rider toys, like the bikes, the masks, the belts, like how much they were selling and how that led to like other shows at the time. But like, that's something that was sadly missing in America. Like what would power mm -hmm. Rangers be today if they'd put a fraction of the billions they were making on toys into the shows and or the actors mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. yeah. And so I don't know. I, I think that's been my favorite thing about like doing my podcast and being on here and like learning more about tokusatsu is just finding out how much more this was defined by people that were actually masters of the craft, like the special effects artist behind Godzilla, or I mean, like the actual writer and artist of Common Writer. Like it seems like people are getting the credit that's due a lot more, and it's people that are actually talented and not just like some capitalist, mm, some like sketchy billionaire that's like getting all the profit and credit for all this right right so like i said sum it all up it's a great read i highly recommend it it's a great companion to the show but it can also be a standalone mm -hmm. you know if you just want to read the manga and not have to watch the show you can go ahead and do that although it is interesting seeing how the show adapted some things in this because the show does things the manga doesn't do, but the manga gets to go places. <laughs> Would you want to leave off on any kind of like smattering of episodes you'd suggest someone watch after or while? Oh, after this? reading this? Yeah, I would definitely watch those first 13 because it's totally the most similar. And then I would say you get to around like episode 90 or so when the shocker writers show up because they, they factor into this. First, I'd probably say the first few episodes where Hayato shows up, the team up episodes would be good as well. And I would also, it doesn't factor in quite as much, but if you want, I will say this, the show has a, has a better ending than this manga. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to see the better ending, watch 97 and 98 of the show, because mm. it actually has an ending. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Thank you for having me on though, for yep. to talk about the book. I, yeah, I've been plucking away at this for over a year now, just reading it mm -hmm. among everything else for the podcast. And yeah, I feel like this is the most appropriate place for uh, me to info dump on this tome of comic. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, do you, uh, you want to try doing some Henshin Men awards for this kind of on the fly? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think I can come up with something. Uh, sure. We'll have to adapt one of them yeah. really quick. But yes, now time for the patented Henshin Men awards, which we totally didn't steal from Monsters vs. Men. <laughs> I swear we didn't, <laughs> but we actually did. Anyway, <laughs> so first up, we have the Henshin kick for the best stunt or fight scene, which is still applicable to a comic mm -hmm. book. Now, I do have one in mind. It's one that I was saving for the awards because I did want to talk about it. It's a great example of the decompressed storytelling in this because of like, there is absolutely no way they could have tried to pull this off. They would have tried this now. Hmm. but they wouldn't have tried it back in the 70s but it's in chapter two when the man bat is has grabbed hongo and is flying him around and then he just drops him and then there's this epic series of decompressed panels tracking hongo as he's falling and then he, he catches the wind to power himself up and then 
He flips and flips and flips, and then he lands safely, jumps back toward Manbat while the Manbat is dive bombing, and then he flip kicks him like he's Guile from Street Fighter, <laughs> and then lands on a building. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> that was epic. It's uh, like the epitome of the rider jump in the comic. <laughs> rider jump. <laughs> I think as far as best fight scene goes, I'd probably actually give it to the chase scene like the initial chase scene between hongo and the 13 riders and mm-hmm. yeah really just pursuing that through like it's a grueling like knockout fight through the rest of that chapter and like i think if you're only gonna read one book for one chapter from this massive book that like kind of gives you the epitome of common writer i'd jump right to the 13 riders after maybe reading the first chapter right right and then next up, we have Takantoku for the best special effect. I think I'll modify that. This is the one I, I will have to tweak a little mm. bit. We'll say best panel or best art. Mm. So Ooh. what do you think? Best singular panel. Mm. Or just, or, or best, or a series of art. I mean, it's sequential art, so. I mean, I think this comes closest to being a special effect as well, but I think I will give it to the opening pages, like real oh, colorful color? smattering, like, Mm-hmm. I feel like it gives you just a taste of the color you're missing from the show. And like, I know mm-hmm. a lot of Toku series from this period, like had very psychedelic kind of visuals in their openings. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just glad that that's not something that's lost completely by reading this in a black and white manga for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm going to have to agree with you on that because it really does make the artwork pop. And it, it, it does kind of make you wish that they had done this for the entire thing. But again, this would have cost $300 you know, if they had done that. Although I would say my, my runner up would be stabbing man bat with a cross tombstone. Cause yeah, that was pretty metal. It was just, that was, yeah, it was very metal. <laughs> and, and it's just like that panel where it's actually happening. So it's like, Oh, you kill vampires by staking them and they don't like crucifixes. How about we, Combine them and crank it to 12. <laughs> that, that was crazy. And I think I actually will give credit to that mushroom cloud panel we mentioned earlier, yeah. that two page spread, just since, like, I think. Yeah, with the monologue. Yeah, showing the writer driving in the literal shadow of a mushroom cloud while mm-hmm. talking about, like, how that event is still affecting his country yeah. and his loved ones. Like, I think that's a pretty poetic image. It is. Yeah, that was a very effective one. Yeah. And then we have coming at you for the best line. So I did write down some, you know, some lines with this. Some of them were profound. Some of them, some of them were just BA superhero lines, you know, hmm. you know, stuff like, you know, and this mask is the only thing to hide them, to hide my scars and hide my soul. You know, and I mentioned the ink, basically incantation that Hongo does when he summons the wind to transform you know, and then like actual writer's first line in this was, was, I am a champion of justice sent by mother nature. I am common writer. But you know, like, so there's a lot to pick from, mm-hmm. but I'm going to give it to Dr. Midori Kawa. So Ruriko's dad in the first chapter where he says in reference to shocker mind, you know, brainwashing people, he says a world of people with no will of their own is a world of the dead. Hmm. I think that's it's very profound. It's a good thematic statement, and it also illustrates what Shocker is trying to do. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would agree uh, with the. Let's see, it's on page two eighty four that he gives the speech about how the 
Common Rider mask is his true face, and his face mm-hmm. is Hongo is the false one. Like that feels mm-hmm. very Batman or like Spider Man to some extent. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think like as far as uh, one liner, goofy one, like the one I mentioned earlier of the very idea of using a computer, it's absolutely outrageous. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this does have some silver age melodrama in it in case you haven't figured that out <laughs> and i know that does kind of capture the feeling of the time like my mom talks about growing up in a pre-personal computer age and like hearing about the idea of a home computer or a personal computer like what would you do with a computer why would you want that in your house <laughs> like yeah <laughs> and here the computers are taking up like a literal mountain of space so yeah yeah this yeah out. but now yeah but now we can get the same computing power in a game boy yeah like that, the <laughs> the big shocker computer at the end is probably about an iphone worth of processing power <laughs> yeah and it used to take up an entire room <laughs> and people thought computer back then they thought oh the computers are going to get bigger but then the smart people like no technology is going to get smaller mm. It'll get smaller and more powerful. <laughs> All right. And then finally, we have my favorite award, WTH. What the headshot for the craziest moment? There's a lot to pick from because <laughs> it's a wild comic. I would say probably second place would be the punching out of the whale stomach. <laughs> That's my second yeah. place. My first, but my first one, because it was the most shocking thing, no pun intended, that I you know, for me when I actually read the comic and they're like, Oh yeah, I think I saw some, someone post about this in Twitter on Twitter and I completely forgot about it. And that is Hongo becomes a brain in a jar. Mm. <laughs> Cause that's the biggest divergence from the show. I think the first one that I had written down upon my reread of the book is yeah, it's on 182, and it's that like two page spread of the bike hopping the fence, just out of nowhere yep. like that just really <laughs> took me by surprise like this all like black background two-page spread of just the goofiest like bike hopping over <laughs> cow jumping over the moon like, just, <laughs> like okay and, and then the very intense action scene like five pages later he's ripping off man bat's wings <laughs> <laughs> yank <laughs> yeah they would do stuff like that sometimes on the show ultraman was dismembering <laughs> monsters quite a bit in the show era mm. <laughs> there's one infamous scene that someone actually made a gif of this from ultraman ace where he uses where he does this energy attack that goes at the monster and then cuts it in half vertically and then the two pieces just fall open and all the rainbow colored guts just fall right out of like this is mortal combat yeah, that, stuff that's right here what the an ultra mega scene <laughs> right there <laughs> yeah <laughs> or there's there there's a scene in ultra seven which is from 1967 keep in mind where ultra seven one of his weapons is his crest he can use as a blade it's mm-hmm. a curved blade and he actually takes it and cuts a monster's carotid artery, and then it gushes green blood all over him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, it's green blood. That makes it okay. That's yeah, you can get away with it because it's green blood. So he was like, and it, it like just gushes at him and covers his whole face. <laughs> wow, <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. So, Ultra Mega is definitely. You know, going back to tokusatsu roots because they used to get crazy <laughs> now most of the time the monsters just fall over and explode hmm. i just watched the newest episode of ultraman blazar 
before we did this and they're continuing that tradition the monsters fall over and then there's a huge explosion in front of it so they don't have to blow up the suit But uh, any, but anyway, anything else before we wrap up, Nathan? Nope, the, that's all I've got. So thank you again, Tommy, for joining joining me on this. I will definitely be catching up with Ultra Mega. Hopefully, the uh, excuse me with Giant Size Violence. Ultra Mega is the comic. Yeah. Sometimes I get them conflated because <laughs> anyway, I I didn't know about the comic until you introduced me to it. So I you know I closely associate them. So I'd love to be on the show again. Just let me know if you you know if you've got a good subject, and I'd love to have you back on here or mm. you know on another show. Actually, you're going to be on the Film Vault pretty soon. You know, we got an episode coming up for that. Oh, uh, the Polgasari. Because you grew up watching Golgamesh, yeah, the American remake. Yeah, so, well, I'm I'm excited to visit that. Mm. Yeah, so we'll be doing some more collaborations pretty soon here. But in the meantime, heroes of the internet, thank you for listening to Henshin Men, a tokusatsu appreciation podcast. You can find links to all of our social media in the description of this episode. You can listen to more of Travis on the Kaiju Weekly podcast, and I'm also a frequent guest on that show now in its new rebooted form and you can listen to more of me on the monster island film vault and our sister podcast and the kaiju rama podcast network the power trip a journey through the power rangers franchise and where can the listeners find you tommy you can find me currently on most podcasting platforms is giant sized violence I'll give a special plug to a few of my recent episodes. If you're queer and love Toku, check out my recent episode. Uh, it's Morphin Time. It's my very Ranger-inspired coming out story. But you can find us on Twitter as at UltraMegaCast or on our Facebook page as just Giant Size Violence. All righty. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podchaser. And until next time, be sure to check out our previous episode on Hideaki Anno's Henshin Kamen Rider. This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2023 Kaiju Ramen Media LLC.